Well, I'll kick us off then with just what what how this started and where the idea came from because it's it, it's one of those like brainwave moments that I kind of had in bed where I thought I'm keen to learn as much as I can from other salespeople, but there's only a handful of salespeople at Sales Off who we have the chance to speak to on a daily basis, and there's only a handful of AEs that I know in my network who are able to tell me in length about how they close some big deals. And this summer or this last year or two, Jack and I have had those kind of like career, I wouldn't go as far to say perhaps career defining, but certainly those springboard deals that have given us a bit of awareness of who we are internally, our company and put our name out into the market a little bit more. And people at work often ask us to share the story about how it happened. And they're not deals that happen quickly. They're deals that you win over six months period or even a year's period. And we just kind of realized that there's hundreds of those stories out there that people don't tell on a daily basis that we are desperate to hear. And so selfishly, for the most part, this podcast is about me and Jack hoping to learn as much as we yeah. can from people like you. I'm sure there are more people like you who would like to learn from, uh, from others. Precisely. And there's also people who have got far better stories with far bigger wins, far bigger customer success stories than Jack and I have got. And that's kind of why we're here today. So are you able to just give us a bit of the, a scoop on Well, I'll I'll give Laura a quick introduction. So Laura is a senior account executive at a Danish startup called Dream Data. She started in uh, enterprise software at Gartner and then moved into the uh, startup world where, you know, she um, learned from a lot of her mistakes and a lot of her losses. And that ultimately led to her being really successful and even selling 50% of the company's deals uh, in one year and uh, moving outside of just the founder-led approach. So Laura, could you uh, give us an idea of who you currently sell to and a one sentence value prop of what Dream Data does? For sure. So nice being here with you guys. Thank you for inviting. Um, Yeah, I'm a senior account executive at Dream Data and Dream Data helps marketers and sales to understand which touches throughout the customer journey are bringing the most value for you to close the deals. Okay, fantastic. And I think it's a good place to start. Like if you have a deal in mind that you want to talk about today, how did that deal come about? How did it start? Should we talk about the biggest one? You can talk about the biggest one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because it's quite, when you're working at a startup, early startup, so now DreamGate is four years old, it's still an early startup, but that deal happened last year, and it was the biggest in our history. And they came inbound. To start with, DreamData trusts inbound a lot. We do outbound, but most of our deals are coming in inbound, but they don't magically appear. It's because Mm. we eat our own dog food, And we do a lot of marketing. At the same time, we do a lot of LinkedIn stuff where people are hanging out and finding us. So this deal came inbound, but they did not come out of nowhere. They knew a client of ours. They spoke to them before. And then they booked a call with us. So that's that's how they came in. But we can talk about how all the rest has been spinning in around, like how did the whole process go through how did marketing play into that? Because I never closed any deals alone. That I had to fail a lot before I figured out how to sell a dream data. Because I come from enterprise sales. I used to close million dollar deals at the brands that everybody knows. When you come into the room and say you're from Gartner, they know what you're selling. Yeah. Or you're saying that I'm coming from Red Hat. No, okay, then there is the technical department, go speak to them. Like 
it's no big deal to call a CTO and tell, I want to talk about Red Hat and there's a new solution. And so on and say, okay, come. <laughs> like when you come to Dream Data and then we started trying to do some outbound, nobody wants to talk to you because they have no idea who you are. And those like two and a half years ago when I joined Dream Data, we had marketing, we started to build that machine up, but it was not there. So it's like you call somebody, nobody wants to talk with you. I still remember those hard hours in the evenings where I tried to call call American markets and said, no, this is not working. Like never again, no cold emails, nothing. That's where we started to build up LinkedIn presence and started to figure out that it's actually working for marketers to find us and to start identifying us with the Dream Data's brand and with attribution in general. So now if somebody would ask, who should I speak to about attribution on LinkedIn? I would guess either my name or our CMO's name will be <laughs> the first one people will be commenting. No shit. And, and that's what we have built up throughout the whole time. And that's how deals are being brought into the funnel, nurtured, and even closed because people do trust what they're seeing on the market, what others are saying, and long gone the times when you have to trust the salesperson that, oh, uh, this is going to work, so, like buy my solution and I trust it, it will help you reduce, I don't know, your spendings by 50%, whatever department. It's a lie. Everybody knows that. They have to trust you much more. <laughs> I've got a question then, Laura. So, you know, you get this big brand coming inbound. What did you do to prep before your first call? Very good question. Yeah. And this is what we focus a lot on. So marketing presence with the stuff that we're doing, LinkedIn and everything else, and then very well prepared demos and discovery calls. So we do not tease our clients with, oh, wait, we cannot give you the pricing or, oh, wait, demo on another call or anything. No, you get the full experience. Here comes a person with a huge brand we definitely want to work with, and they come with questions. They come with questions they need to have answers to. But at the same time, I need to figure out if it's the right thing for us as well. And so we don't waste our time and they don't waste theirs. We knew that against us, we had the biggest brand on the market. Mm -hmm. We know how, what kind of things that they're not so popular for and why people choose us. So what I did to prepare, first of all, I figured out who is coming to the call. There was just one person to start with because she was shortlisting the tools that she wanted, needed to buy. What's her role? What does she care about? What do they usually care about when they're looking for a solution like that? Because it was not a marketer. It was an operations person. And I'm used to talk with marketers because they're all over the place and happy and oh, and to take me a little bit and we're happy. She was an operations. Be brief, be gone. And prepared everything about the company, what their targets are, might be, what might she be looking for? And that we use Metpick. So I did prepare some of the questions that I needed to uncover to start with, to understand like both the timelines and their pains, what it is that they're trying to solve and so on. So I can later follow that deal forward. And at this stage, did you, did you know that you were in a head to head? Did you know that they were already in the deal with you? I had a big hunch to start with even before we went to the call. Okay. Because they are using the systems that usually that competitor comes in the package. So it's either us or them. 
or another niche competitor that very likely is going to be disqualified throughout the, the sales process. How do you approach when there's a competitor? I guess in a deal this big, when the stakes are this high, it's easy to keep. Like knowing that you are such a large company and your tech stack look like this, you would usually look into the competition that most of the companies would be speaking about with. And why are we speaking right now? So tell me what are the reasons that you would like to have a chat with us as well. So she gave me a complete understanding what kind of innovation she's looking for, that it is a big stake to move with Data. that is a, a back then three-year-old startup. Like, oh, what if you go bankrupt? What happens then? Because that company, it is IPO company. They're not going to go bankrupt. Yeah. But they're also moving much, much slower than we do. So she opened it up by herself, really. And addressing that problem, it's not even a problem, but addressing that directly Let's people be much more open together with you. You don't have to play games like trying to uncover, oh, what features are you looking for? So maybe that is that competitor or something. No, go directly. Usually you would speak with these three ones. How many of those are you speaking with? Oh, you're not speaking with a third one? I think you should. Especially if you've got the confidence of your tool solving the problem that they're coming here to have solution for, then it's much better that they go out test it out and come back to you and continue the conversation. You're saving your time, but you're also helping them out with credibility that we're really cool. We know what we stand for and we're going to help you out. You normally sell to marketing, but this was it a lady that came in first or was yeah. operations. No. How, se how senior was that buyer? She was the director, so she had a VP and a C-level above her. What, do you, what did you do maybe on the next step to try and gauge those stakeholders? Or could you walk through what, what your play was, you know, once you've done your demo, et cetera, on the first call? Now we're moving into the stuff that how could I have done things differently? Because she was gating them a lot. So throughout the whole buying process, we never met neither the VP nor the C-level. Wow. She was gating them a lot. And and I did trust her because she had the whole process in front of her. So I have bought tools before, not in this company. That's another thing. It's like, oh, red flag. She never tried to do this before. So, but I have tried to buy tools before. These are the needs that we have to have sold. And if the team that I'm bringing in together with me on my own level or below within marketing and operations, do vet that this is the tool we want to go with. We're going over. It's tough because how do you play that in? Usually I would say that, well, for you to be able to buy the solution, it will need to be vetted by the VP or the C-level. How do you usually approach this? And when does it make sense that they would have a chance to have a look at the tool? Nowadays, I keep them in the loop as well. Like kind of, we had this conversation, really great conversation. The team is involved in so on. I'm keeping you in the loop. You don't have to respond to this email, but I'm keeping you in the loop. What is it that we're looking at? And if you have any questions, I'm here to answer them. Otherwise, you don't have to respond. Sometimes I do that nowadays. That's really interesting. But I imagine sales is like a chessboard. And, you know, we're on one side and we have all of our pieces, our pawns, you know, king, queen, and we're moving the pieces across and the competition or the buyer is on the other side moving their pieces. At what point in the buying cycle do you think, okay, right, I want to, I need to keep senior management in the loop 
I'm going to email them to keep them. And do you ask your champion or coach's permission to do that? There are several things we have to unpack here. If it is an inbound lead and they're hot already from the first call, you know that there is a project they're working on, then you can do that right after the first call. Mm-hmm. Just we have outlined this and this is how we solve this. I'm just keeping you in the loop. Don't do anything. But if it is an outbound deal, they usually don't have neither the timeline or well anything within the beautiful band. And then it doesn't make sense to keep them in the loop just yet. Before you actually unpack and figure it out with them, what would be the right time for them to, to move on? And when there is that time, then it makes sense to loop them in because they will have to give them the budget. You've got it right this time around because you've won the deal and that's why we're talking about it. And I'm assuming there's a time in the past where you've got that wrong. Are you able to shed? <laughs> yeah, I was hoping you'd laugh. Then you're going to tell me no. I'm bulletproof. Um, are you able to give us an example of maybe a time in the past where you've you know slipped on a banana skin there, told somebody at the wrong time, introduced the wrong stakeholder, and sabotaged yourself? Is that something that's ever cropped up? I've never heard that in that way. It's like, oh, we don't want to work with you because you're trying to engage the wrong people or something. You usually wouldn't hear that. They would just disappear and ghost you, which is really sad. It's like, come on, tell us that I fucked up and then we're going to move on and uh, we'll figure out what not to do the next time. No. So I've never learned that in that hard way. It's like, I'm not going to do that with you. But I've got a lot of silence that some of the prospects got totally silent. So somebody came inbound. It was kind of warmish inbound because they started a trial and it was a big enough account that I should take it over. And I reached out to the person, booked the meeting, we had a good chat and they did not have a timeline just yet. And that was my mistake because I looped in the higher managers into that, not into the conversation, but here's the link to what we spoke about. This is how we solve this. I'm just keeping in the loop because I guess at a point you will be looped in into some of the demos or taking that decision. Nothing. Silence. Even from the person who booked the meeting there with me. So I think that was the banana. (laughs) So there's there's no risk, really. You can get you can get silence or you can get engagement. So there's almost no real risk. I think the only time that I've ever had it go bad for me is when you're you're right. There's no urgency or timeline. So the person's like, why are you bothering me in my inbox? Or, or the other or the other problem is you've perhaps reached out when your champion has asked you, like in this exact deal that you're talking about now, this is between you and I. I've got a timeline. I've got the stakeholders. I'll bring them in at the right time. And you go about your busy work and try and bring in, say, the, the CMO or the VP of marketing, and you get a slap on the wrist and they say, this is my project, don't make me look stupid internally. And and that's actually happened to me on a recent deal. It wasn't anything to write home about, but I got told by my guy, don't reach out to them again, I'm taking care of this. And it's a bit of a red flag because you think you don't have the budget to sign off this big project. Mm So I I have to trust you that you're going Mm -hmm. to take this project all the way to the CFO. And I guess... I mean, yeah, Jack and I have had this conversation in the past. It's like, how much do I get coverage? But if you're only getting ignored, it's worth the risk, right? What if they responded? Exactly. So it's worth the risk. The the payoff is good enough to take the risk that they might come back to you. Exactly. Yeah. And and I guess from a follow on from that. Good thing about keeping some of the stakeholders in the loop is that you're not a stranger when they're being reached out for budget or for the next meeting. So I don't think that the deal takes off when you get a response. Somebody would say, oh, yeah, thanks. 
for keeping me in the loop, but it's him or her running that project. All right. Like, do you want to continue being informed? Usually it's very rare that you still get an answer, but then it's like, but then I you think the really important caveat with this is that when Laura's doing this or has done this in the past, she you say you there's no need to reply to this. So it's like a really, really nice, gentle, warm nurture where you're keeping them involved and not asking. Like you're just, it's like, you know, we give, 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 give. And then when we eventually get to the economic buyer at the end, we're not like some new sales rep that's just sent the contract out to them being like, please, Mrs. Economic Buyers, your contract for whatever dollars, please sign it. Um, Precisely. Laura, so your sales process has gone, one leads come inbound. You've done your research on the first call. We've gone demo, you know, competitive differentiation. What what happens on the next call? What 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 do you sort of? What's the process that you then take the buyer on? Um, then they bring in these stakeholders that okay. will need to vet. So she brought in three stakeholders, and one of them was in marketing. Two of them were in operations, because it was an operations project, and marketing only had their a list of the requirements that mm. this tool will have to adhere to. Operations will have to operate the tool and they will need to look into the inside. So she brought the, the people into the call and that type of a call, I usually never take alone. So I bring in somebody else. So like, don't bring a knife <laughs> to a gunfight. And since we're still a startup, then for that type of call, depending on the personas, on the call, I would bring in either our CMO, who's operating Dream Data as a marketer, or our CEO is so far the highest head of operations in Dream Data. And he uses Dream Data for operations. So he's able to talk through those pains as well. Before we meet those four people now on the call, I do prepare. So before we even book the next call, while we're on the first call still, I would ask who will be on the next call. What do they care about? What is it that we need to prepare? That's where I know who I need to bring in. After that, then I would usually reach out to those people as well, saying that we need to make this hour or 45 minutes count. This is an expensive meeting for you. I'm not saying that on the, on the email, but still, there are many hours of people with very high salaries coming over to assess us. So what is it that you care about? What is it that we have to talk about and not miss? They'll say, okay, for me, important this and that's onboarding and so on. Okay, I'm coming prepared. I will have a slide or two for those, but the rest, they want to see a demo and just give that demo to them. Show them exactly what they're looking for. When they come to the call, first we qualify again, talk about what? What are you looking for? How are you doing it right now? How do you envision the tool will be helping you to do that? And alternatives you already spoke about on the previous call. So usually you wouldn't go way too broad. So that call has to focus on the people coming to the call. What is it that they want to achieve from there? And then we do the sing and dancing. No, it's fair to say that the discovery process is just continuing throughout, even in the calls, even in the emails, even in the follow-up emails, even in the agenda emails. You're just continually doing discovery, especially in this deal, to make sure that every person that steps into it from the customer's side is taken care of. Yes, absolutely. Because it could be that some of those people were meeting for the first and the last time during yeah. this deal. And if we make them trust that we're able to solve what they're looking for solving, 
per rate than kind of one less. And in this deal in particular, was there any individual person who you knew was the linchpin and you knew that you'd got what they were looking for and you demonstrated it? Mm -hmm. It was the technical operations person. So there was a thing that he had questions about very niche things and saying, okay, dear customer, this is very niche and it's not, doesn't seem like it's so important for the rest of the team. Do you mind if we book a 30 minutes call for you and Lars, our CEO, to walk through those things? He can even do the live demo for you of that niche thing. So yeah, sure, that would be nice because they love it. They love yeah. to dig into small stuff. So I eliminated that person, not because he was not important or anything, but it was not important for the rest of the team. On the end of the call, towards the end of the call, Laura, when you've got all of the stakeholders there, do you have to, are you thinking on your toes about what the next step is? Do you use mutual success plans? What, how do you sort of, how do you manage what you think the next step should be? Very, very important. Because most of the deals will go silent. They'll ghost you. You don't have the next step, they'll ghost you. But if you feel like the timing is there, it's okay if they ghost you because they did not have a complete timeline, it's fine to let them go. Or they need a consensus. And you feel that, okay, there are five people on the call. And okay, so dear Kate, should we just book the next meeting? It doesn't make sense. We need to talk and then we'll book. So you have to create a mutual next step plan together. And it starts from the beginning of the call. At the beginning of the call, we have to figure out what's the timeline of this. Okay, so do you have a project that you have to, to work towards? Oh, yes, like you too. Fine. So if we're working a little bit backwards, then that means that you have to start being onboarded to a trial already in two weeks. Is that correct? Oh, it's okay if it slips a little. Ah, all right. <laughs> so we're kind of a little bit slower on this. But it's much easier to keep them accountable as well to this and for you not to waste time on the deal that will never close. So yes, by the end of the call, five minutes is too little, but very often like it is five minutes that you got. <laughs> and the, we do create the Mitchell next steps plan. What is going to happen? What is it that you need to do? I would often do that before actually the whole call, uh, like at the beginning of the call, what will need to happen during the call for us to take the next step and what would the next step be in your eyes? And then it's easier just to have those five minutes to complete the call. Okay, so you said trial, you ready for it or anything else that needs to happen? Oh, they'll tell you. Or do we book a next call because we didn't have the time to go through a demo of that specific feature that was also important for you? So that kind of do that at the end of the call, but prepare for it at the beginning of the call. Tell, could you tell me and Jack about something you'd wish you'd done differently on the deal? I wish I had involved the marketing people more. And we spoke about the, the VP and C-level. I never spoke with them. Well, the deal closed. So I don't wish that happened. It's it's fine. It's it's closed and then nothing happened. Maybe it could have been nice. But what I could have done differently was spoken more with the marketing department. The reason for that is not for the deal to close, but it is for customer success as well. So we were speaking a lot with operations, what their project is, how we're going to close this. They knew exactly what they needed. Marketing was lesser involved. And for us to have successful renewals, it will be marketers who will be giving a big 
stake in the renewal of the deal as well. And what I heard from customer success later that this is a very nice client, but they had struggles to onboard marketing because it felt like it's something operation bought for themselves. If I have the excitement of the marketers to deliver to customer success, it will be much easier for them to renew the deal. We did renew it, but, but it was hard work. And usually we are the tool that marketers are excited to use. And in this case, they didn't because it was something that they were just given to work with. And this is something I wish I could have done differently. As part of your deal process, do you ever align your marketing team with their marketing team? So our CMO often comes into calls. He does, especially if we need to demo how they can operate the platform according to the needs that they're having. Then I just bring in our CMO because it's much easier to trust the person who is actually in the role that they're doing rather than a salesperson to do it. For smaller deals, I do it myself, but for the larger ones or there are more stakeholders involved, I do bring in our CMO. What signals or or things do you infer from the call where you think that's a good next step or that's an action I need to take? If I felt that their questions were that strategic that I was not able to show with a demo out of the box, then I need help from somebody. Mm-hmm. And that usually is our CMO because he is thinking revenue. Like I think he's dreaming of revenue. He is thinking that all Don't the time. we all are, uh, we just dream revenue. <laughs> I dream my good salary. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so he he knows what it means. He has been a CMO at another company. And when they ask that specific question, how do I report like this, like that? I'll show my default answer. But usually he shows the tweaks of the platform that really are important for them. And it was like, I could have done it like that, but I just got back to my default because you're a robot. You are a kind of a qualification robot. And for the demos, you definitely know how to operate your platform, but you always fall back to the default. So yeah, I want to ask a quick question more about luck too, actually. So I'll tell you my one first to frame the question. I closed the deal in the summer, which was a quite decent deal for us in our in our commercial team. We don't sell the biggest deals, but this one was quite an interesting one. And we found out who the stakeholder was. We found out who one of the key influencers were at the customer, and he loved our product. But he, there was another product in the mix as well. So we had competition and I, and I stood up in the office and I literally shouted, is anybody connected to xyz on linkedin and jack was sitting at his laptop just turned to me and said i'm not but i'm connected to his best friend who used to be my boss and i was thinking bingo <laughs> and i was like i'm talking to him now on linkedin if you want me to talk to him and i was like yes please so i walked over to his desk jack was like da, 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 da. can you do that i was like yeah and like at that moment i knew Whoa. that i was i was, luck was in my favor at that point right and we went on to win the deal and they're a very happy customer and i get i'm actually very close with the guy now um but that's luck. That that we, we we won that deal, and that was a major part of why we won that deal. And it wasn't down to a good process from me, or it wasn't even. It is because our product's good, but there's plenty of good products on the market. And I guess I have to just thank my lucky stars that there's luck playing in my favour as well. And was there any moment in this deal where something like that happened to you, and it it made everything go in your direction? I don't trust luck, and in this case, I wouldn't give it to luck either. Look, Jack, you if you did not stand up in that room 
while creating and having this deal and conversation and asked anybody knows this person, you would never have won this. So because you do care of how can I close this deal, you create the whole chessboard for yourself. How can I win this? It could be that nobody knew that person, but you thinking in that direction, you would figure out how to put your the full board for your favor. I don't trust luck. We just yesterday had the craziest moment that I still didn't win that deal. But if I do, it's going to be a very exciting story to tell how we played in a lot of people in our team late nights and not because we had to work. We saw some messages on some Slack channels. Then I pulled in somebody else into the deal and then they had a call the same day and so on. A lot of things have happened. This was not luck. This was because we're playing as a team. We do care for each other. And when you have the excitement of this could be something fun or a lot of money for you, then you just go for it as a salesperson. What can I do? Or a colleague needs some help. And then you find that friend. You wouldn't find it if you didn't ask for it. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, you make your own luck, right? Yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing everyone's answers on the luck question. I love that. <laughs> but I love that answer, Laura. No one makes luck, but you're right. You know, I remember that actually, Jack. Well done, mate. <laughs> cool. Thanks so much, Laura. Really enjoyed uh, speaking to you. And, uh, you know, as we all know, you know, no big deal is no big deal. So hopefully. No big deal. Thank yeah, you for inviting us. It's a lot of fun. Thanks, cool. Laura. I really appreciate your time and all the insight. I'm looking forward to watching this back, to be honest. Yeah, me too. I think that my main takeaways, we'll just like clip the recording now. I loved the keeping senior buyers involved in an email. That is a wicked tip. Yeah. I really yeah, like I, that. I do that usually on LinkedIn. I don't do that in an email. Okay, emails are lost. I do that on LinkedIn. I do connect with them. And first of all, connect with them. I don't maybe, yeah. In this process, I do add a message. I never add messages on LinkedIn when I connect with people. But in that case, I just send a message that, oh, I spoke to Ryan and it was a good conversation. And just like let me know if you'd like to be kept in the loop or how do I phrase it? I can even find it how I phrase it really. And then when they do accept, and then I send a link to them uh, from our conversation, their pains, how we solve this, and a couple of screenshots from Green Data if they like. I love that. Would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah, Just no that problem. clip, and we can use that ourselves. Because We've learned something. this from LinkedIn. It was not <laughs> our... I don't even know who that was. <laughs> I think it's, that, that, that was like my one tip I thought that was like that really good tip. Um. What about you, Jack? For me, my biggest takeaway was, and this is something I do, but I, I'm lazy with it, is, is making sure that if I do, like you said, just give a reflex answer in a demo, just the one that, like my default answer, is that if I realize it was substandard or it wasn't exactly what the customer was asking for, is just being diligent and being like, you know what, I'm going to come back and find the best person at my company who can give the best answer to that question, and I'm going to send it over to you. Because yeah. it... I'm, I'm being on the buying end of it. You know when you get a reflex answer. You're like, okay, yeah. you just gave me the stock answer that you give to everybody, but that our company's different. Exactly. It's like show that you actually care. 
And that it's so flat to say things like this, but but it does matter. It's like if you if you know that you care about the person, mm. it's a little bit easier to to actually listen to them. There's one more tip that I've heard from Nick uh, Nicholas Thicket yesterday. We had a chat. The guy from B2B Power Hour. I don't know if you follow, but if you don't, you should. Um, so he said that a lot of lost deals are being reborn with very short videos and i just tried that myself yesterday and saw that happen in front of me so i sent two minutes demo videos vidyard it's like you wanted this look at that or you spoke about this but we never spoke about that part usually people care about this two minutes and in the call i usually write that the video is two minutes so they don't have to think oh she's sending me 30 minutes demo or something yeah, yeah. no this is for you this is two minutes if you care have a look at that it's great. That's so good. Do you know what I was thinking? Do you know what was crazy about this? We shouldn't have stopped. But this is a great idea. We could. <laughs> I'm glad it's we kept running. recorded, so you can use this. Yeah, exactly. This is about. I've got this host of like closed lost opportunities that I'm I've picked up and I'm trying to re-engage. And I've sent three emails. And you know, today I've blocked off an hour because I'm like, yeah, these are all probably rubbish emails, and I'm just going to send. You know, last week I was asking in our. In A's of London, as well as in our own Slack channel, you know, what's a good, I'm going to call it breakup, close lost email, you know, like, is this not a priority now? Mm -hmm. I was like, why don't I just send them? That's a great idea. Like an actual high value. This is why you would buy sales loft. Do you want to speak to us again? I'm like, that's way better than being like, this isn't a priority. Great. Thanks, Laura. Probably save me some time. Don't ask them if they want to buy sales loft. Just give the video Yeah. and ask if they want to chat. Worth a chat. That's it. Yeah, I use that in they my multi-thread want- cadence. When I'm trying to get new stakeholders involved, I send them a, a one-minute micro demo of me being like, this is the yeah. one thing I think you care about. One page, no clicks. This is the dashboard that I think you'd be interested in. And it's got like a 20% yeah. hit rate. Great. I'll share I like I'll share you it guys. Jack. It's a fun project. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I'll be listening yeah. to your podcast when it comes out. Thanks okay, cool. Right. Yeah, we hope so. And like the aim is, you know, me, me and Jack, when Jack came to this idea after I came back and rejoined Sales Loft, I was like, even if no one ever listens to it, me and Jack are going to yeah. people from it. Because yeah. I'm sure there's going to be every call, there's going to be one takeaway. We're like, that's a great thing to do in a deal. Quite literally, yeah. it's the most selfish idea I've ever had in my life. <laughs> but you might, want, you might want to document that as well, because you might want to have a landing page for your podcast and just write down the tips. You don't have yeah. to write down who said it but it will also be a backlog for yourselves and for whoever else is coming into your website to, um, to have a look. It's like, what are the best tips? I'm thinking that for your LinkedIn intro, that you, that you if you can share it afterwards, I'm thinking I'll tag that in there as well. We can just have a step-by-step process. We may even be able to write our own little deal process, Jack. Yeah, and that's great. Laura, I can't thank you enough, honestly. It's yeah. been really great. It was lovely to meet you for the first time as well. Hopefully we meet each other again at some point, but this has been super useful. Yeah. We'll get it produced and send it over to you. You can have the, the final say on, on how it is. We'll put together a few short reels. It'll only be two or three 10-second video clips. The rest of it's going to be audio. I'm not going to listen to this. I'm sorry for that like, I in it. advance. I didn't, mention any, I didn't mention anything bad or anything, but I will will reuse the short ones. Yeah, definitely. For your LinkedIn, we'll would be great. And stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So and you don't have to send it to me. As soon as you've got the clips, send them over. I'll use them for LinkedIn. Cool. Okay. Great. Awesome. And yeah, hopefully, well, me and Jack can fly out to Sassiest and we can see you there in uh, Malmo again if you're going to be there. I'm not. I'm not coming. Not I'm going. Not, Nordics is done. No, it's 
I don't have that many big sales to be done in the Nordics. I already said to Thomas, Thomas, I can come. If you give me the ticket, I'll come. And he said, ah, I go buy the tickets and no. Uh, come to London then, Laura. Yeah, we will be doing a London um, onboard, not onboarding, customer session. We did one in Copenhagen. We're going to be doing the rollouts for those and then we can go out for a beer. Awesome. Now it's all good. <laughs> Pleasure yeah. to chat, Laura. Catch you later. <laughs> Likewise. Bye. See you guys. Take care. Bye-bye.